Welcome to On Balance. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. I'll be your guide as we explore the stories of today with the personalities impacting tomorrow. Welcome to On Balance. Well, uh, look, there's no time like the present to talk about the state of higher education. Uh, We've got so many (laughs) data points flying around, literally. We've got chat GPT and so many other things that people are talking about when it comes to how we learn, why we learn, why we choose the institutions that we go to. Uh, And I'm excited to be spending some time today with Dr. Mike McGee. He's the president of Minerva University. He was the founding CEO at Chiefs for Change. Many of you know Chiefs for Change in Education across the country. He was also the founder and CEO of the Rhode Island mayoral academies. Uh, Mike, so nice to spend some time with you. I I think that people who aren't in education think, oh, that's so nice you work in education. How how calming of an of an industry, right? There's a lot going on in education and particularly in higher ed uh, when it comes to the business of higher ed, how to attract talent from a faculty perspective, how to attract students, how to really convey your value prop as an institution long-term for students that are seeing alternative ways to develop their career paths. What are the things that are that are sort of hanging out in front of you when you think about students today and what you're trying to capture and then convey in the value that you provide at Minerva? Sure. Well, like many institutions of higher education, I think we're in a period where we want to be very clear about our purpose um, and make sure that that purpose aligns to a university model that's sustainable economically and and otherwise going forward. I, I think at Minerva University, we have the advantage of a, a pretty clear vision and mission for uh, who we want to become and where we and where we want to go. Um, our vision is to become the world's premier global university. Um, as you've probably heard, we've had students from 89 different countries uh, attend Minerva as undergraduates, um, and they have a unique experience as undergraduates living in seven cities around the world over four years instead of on a U.S. college campus. Um, but there's a lot more that will go into becoming the world's premier global university, and uh, we don't all we don't want to get there uh, because it's prestigious. We want to get there because it's aligned to a very clear mission, which is to develop generations of problem solvers and entrepreneurs and wise leaders from every corner of the globe and to weave them together as one community that can work together to to um, overcome, you know, the most important challenges facing humanity. How are you viewed? I mean, if you if I'm spending time with you and there's a, a a gathering of higher institution leaders, how are you received? Because Minerva is very different. And I find it incredibly progressive in and I am a believer of travel. I'm a believer in learning through culture and experience. And that feels like really what young people want today. Mm. And your model seems to be very adaptable to that and positioned to support that notion, yet traditional brick and mortar, very, very different. So how are you received or what do those conversations look like? I mean, are you sort of the envy of those that are at traditional institutions? Well, I I don't know. You know, I I think there are, the truth is there's many traditional institutions of higher education, which have figured out a model, which, you know, whether, whether we like it or not works quite well. 
They have enormous alumni bases who feel a deep affinity to the university. They support the university in a sustainable way. They have a, a model of Program. Is that number shrinking though, Mike? Don't you think? I mean, I feel like it's that number. A, it's a it's a highly competitive space. The the thing that I think keeps leaders of those institutions up at night is just how competitive it is, and it may it and it may be that demand for for those traditional models is is shrinking somewhat. So th those institutions certainly face challenges. We face challenges associated with being a very young um, university that's still trying, for instance, to achieve an economy of scale that will work for us um, and still, you know, uh, pursuing a very ambitious mission. Um, so I would say if you asked other leaders in, in either U.S. or global higher ed to the extent that they were very aware of us at all, we, we, they would know us for two things. One is a real innovation in global cultural immersion. Um, and the second is... Uh, a, I think, very important innovation in synchronous virtual learning. Um, we have an online learning platform called Forum that was designed specifically for our university um, and was designed specifically to support a pedagogy that we created grounded in the science of learning to make sure that all learning at Minerva is active learning. If you were on that platform for one of our small seminars, You'd never see a student off camera. You'd never see a student unprepared. What you would see is highly engaging and deep intellectual dialogue between students and their classmates and, and their professor to an amazingly consistent uh, degree. Um, you, when I first became aware of it, I mean, that was one of my first reactions to Minerva was just as a former college professor myself, being so impressed with the quality of conversation and learning I was seeing in, in our virtual classrooms, the level of preparedness of students, the pedagogical sophistication and consistency of our faculty. Um, so, I, you know, I think it, those two things are what we've become known for in a short period of time. I would say if I was going to add anything to that, it's the third piece of this puzzle, which is a fully articulated and very thoughtful interdisciplinary project-based and experiential learning curriculum that takes place in the cities where our students are are living and learning in Berlin and Buenos Aires and Hyderabad and London, San Francisco, Seoul, Taipei. We've designed that aspect of our learning, the project-based and experiential side of this with the same level of thoughtfulness and sophistication that we've designed virtual um, lear learning and cultural immersion. So it's really the way those three things fit together, mutually reinforce each other in the service of our mission that I think is, to me, so exciting about Minerva. What, what do students say, uh, Minerva students, as to what was the one thing, the hook that got them? I mean, the way you describe that, you know, I know this is not what you're pitching and it sounds, um, this sounds amazing though. It makes me think of like the amazing race, like these cultural experiences that are project-based, you are solving something, right? Yeah. Just loosely speaking. And I would think that that is inc incredibly appealing to young people. It's appealing to me in my mid forties. <laughs> if I think about yeah. that, either, either that or the choice of being in a lecture hall on a traditional campus. Absolutely. I mean, students know what the research um, is uh, 
is telling us more and more. Uh, they know it from their own experience. When you sit in a large lecture hall and listen to a lecture, you're just much, much, much less likely to retain the knowledge from that lecture or build any useful skills uh, than you are if you are if you know that that tomorrow you're going to show up in a class with 20 other classmates and you're going to have to be prepared to have a really thoughtful conversation about material that everyone assumes your peers your professor you will you will know by the time you arrive um and and then your knowledge is going to deepen you're going to retain much more of it you're going to build skills in that classroom that you can take to projects that you are doing and and ultimately into employment and and the second part of that is on the project based side everything that our students are learning in the classroom as fast as possible we want them applying that knowledge to projects that they're doing collaboratively with other students and and i would say there's um one other aspect of that which i think makes the minerva education unique and the learning a little bit more powerful which is typically in these collaborative projects that we're designing uh you are working on those projects with students who come from very different backgrounds than yours um and they're going to think a little bit differently about those projects they're going to have some a, a perspective to offer that is not your perspective they may challenge your thinking in ways that you didn't expect and that too is kind of deepening the learning experience um in exciting ways i'll just give you one example if you're working on a project related to sustainable agriculture and uh you're from costa rica um but in that project you have a classmate from saudi arabia and a classmate from canada and a classmate from tanzania um you're all bringing perspective to that project and to what kind of problem it might solve um that's quite different so i you know i think that that ability to look at complex problems from different cultural perspectives is also sort of baked into everything we do at minerva yeah the, there's so many layers to that and what you learn for those that have had the the experience of travel and understanding yes. what it's like to be a immersed into new cultures where things are looked at differently um you you can learn so much about yourself and and not take for granted what what you've come to assume is the way life should be or could be yeah absolutely i mean one of the very most powerful learning experience i ever had as a student was uh two weeks that i spent in the soviet union in 1987 with my model un team um and it was so profound and it really set the direction for my learning in uh college and graduate school um and that was only 2 weeks so the immersive experience experiences that our students are having in in rich and interesting cultures all over the world is is um really special let's talk about your path um i'm a i love it when leaders acknowledge that you know they were they were <laughs> kids wants to right we didn't just sort yeah. of grow up as leaders um what has minerva done for you to challenge you because you obviously you've been successful in your career but this is a different animal right Th this is not you know x number of acres somewhere in the midwest at some university <laughs> this is yeah. this is planet earth is your playground what have you learned about yourself what were some of the gaps that you didn't really know or maybe were there that 
you've come to enjoy to kind of figure out how do you traverse these that you just never thought were there in the past? Yeah, well, you know, I I came to Minerva because it was doing something on a global scale that I've been passionate about my whole life. I uh, went to public school in North Carolina in the 1970s at this unique moment when public schools in the South were integrating for well, truthfully a very short period of time, but I was in those schools. It had a very profound effect on me. Um, and really ever since then, I've been interested in the, the power of schools uh, to bring young people together across lines of difference and, and into community with each other. Um, Minerva, again, was, was doing that globally. Um, and I found that so exciting. Uh, and, I, and I felt like I had something to offer as a leader to um, to optimizing that, to growing it. I, you know, I, I'd say where I'm stretching my own capabilities as a leader is uh, it is by far the most operationally complex organization I've ever <laughs> led. Um, so just what we have to do to run our visa operation, for instance, would make your head spin. It certainly makes my head spin. Um, but I try as a leader and always have to understand where my own strengths and weaknesses are and to build a team um, that does all of the things well that I'm not particularly good at. Um, so we we have a great operations team. Um, many of them have been involved with Minerva since since it began or or early on. Um, have designed some of the systems that make us go uh, in terms of this global operation, whether it's visas or real estate um, or figuring out how to provide students with mental health services in seven different cities around the world, all of those systems. Um, and um, I am not uh, foolish enough to try to to do that work myself. Uh, let's talk a little bit about technology. Obviously, in what yeah. you're operating here, technology plays a vital role. Um, as a conduit uh, for students and, and faculty and experiences. There's so many, uh, I think <laughs> a lot of people are nervous in yeah. education and chat GPT is just sort of an example or an exemplar of that where, you know, at what point are we losing control of our ability to construct our own thoughts um, and then share those in collaboration or in experience with others? What is your perspective on where does there need to be a threshold or a point that we've got to be aware of when it comes to technology and the way in which it can potentially impact our own development? Yes, I mean our our faculty are um, having plenty of Chat GPT conversations right now <laughs> about the the implications uh, of that type of technology to everything we do, um, including assessment of student work, um, including projects, and when it might be appropriate to use AI technology um, to solve problems and when it might not in an educational environment. We actually have an AI lab in Tokyo uh, that's a partnership with the Masasan Foundation. We've had about 40 of our students participate in that lab. And um, one of the things that's of great interest to them is AI safety and AI ethics. Um, you know, I, I think it's it's going to be and has to be um, a critical component of um, all work in the AI field going forward. 
And I think for, for students who have an ethical orientation to the world, it's actually a pretty exciting thing to get involved with now, where you're not just going to be a sort of technological whiz kid working on AI um, absent some moral compass. You're actually going to be the person who can help companies think about how to shape AI so that it um, serves uh, hum- serves good purposes and and helps us overcome some of the challenges facing humanity instead of instead of causing more of those challenges. So that that's a strong interest of our students. We want to make sure that our faculty and our partners are helping to build program that will allow them to really think deeply about those things. Mike, let's talk a little bit about the creator economy. It's a uh, hundred billion dollars and and soaring, and you know, sort of the younger generation is they're growing up, understanding that they can empower and build businesses, and that they yes. are revenue generators. I haven't really heard much comment from higher ed, and just the way in which they think about that. I mean, if you think about higher ed, and you think about professors and faculty, and that they are their own institution of higher learning to a great degree, especially in the research side of things, I'm so curious as to what's going to evolve with a creator economy that, quite frankly, corporate America, corporations around the world understand as influence and marketing, the way in which, I mean, it's like greasing the wheels of of commerce. And I would think that that impacts the way in which we think about how we want to uh, go after a field of study. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, we're very much designed um, to both support and develop young entrepreneurs. And we've actually, despite the fact that we've only had four graduating classes and all of our alumni are, you know, under 27 or so, um, 12% 12% of our alumni have founded their own funded companies. And I, I don't think that that's an accident. I think the emphasis that we place on problem solving, um, the way in which we teach our students to think about problems in an interdisciplinary way, obviously the vast cultural experiences that they're having, it, it's kind of the perfect um, laboratory, so to speak, for for developing entrepreneurs. Um, I think you're absolutely right that the sort of entrepreneurial or creative economy is is going to continue to grow. There's going to be enormous opportunity there for young, ambitious people. Um, and we've seen so many interesting cases of this, not just in tech in um, technology, but also in the humanities. I mean, just a couple of cases that stand out to me. Um, we have two alumni, one one of whom came to us from China, the other from Sweden, who founded a climate solutions company called Seabound that produces carbon capture equipment for large ships. And they've attracted a lot of investment. They have agreements with some of the biggest shipping companies in the world. Um, I got to visit their factory in London this year. Super exciting. Um, so a, a, great, a great example of two people who got passionately curious about how to solve an important problem, had a real ethical orientation to the world, but also created a company that looks like it has a real chance to be profitable. In the humanities, uh, I I met an alumnus who um, left us um, not sure what she wanted to do, but passionate about art and had developed a, I think, very, very creative style in watercolor painting. And then uh, figured out a way to really start a business 
where she does live action painting at events like weddings, dozens and dozens of sort of rapid fire watercolors, um, and now gets hired for <laughs> thousands of dollars um, to do live action painting at these events. And so, like, I think about these things equally. I mean, both of those are doing something quite good in the world, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and they also involve very talented young people following their passions and and finding a kind of market fit for themselves. What what stops uh, Minerva from gaining all the market share or for there to be other competitors out there that see the future in the way that you guys do? Um, wow. Is it just timing? Is it sort of people's acceptance that we are a global economy you know we would talk in k-12 about a global classroom for years and that was really nice and it was <laughs> sounded good at conferences but we never really understood what it is or could be and i think we now have a much better understanding uh, so where are we sort of in the evolution are we just scratching the surface do you feel like you're an explorer of sorts and you are you're finding land and wanting people to see that land that you've discovered yeah, so I would name a few things. I mean, I I think so highly of what we have built. I mean, I really think it's an excellent university. It, it is the university I would have liked to have gone to at 18, sincerely. Um, but I also think we don't want to rest on our laurels. I think it's very important that we stay innovative in the areas where we are justly known for innovation and in our approach to global cultural immersion in synchronous virtual learning and project-based learning. Um, stay innovative, make sure that we're creating cycles of continuous improvement. Um, I think that'll be quite important. The The things that keep me up at night right now are one that, you know, we've had a mission to serve a truly global population. And that means having a very high percentage of students on scholarship. Um, and in order for us to be sustainable in this model, we are going to have to have philanthropic partners that want to support those those scholarships for our students globally. Um, and I, I do think that's the some of the work of a president, and I'm I'm um, really committed to that. Um, and then, uh, secondly, um, I, you know, I, I think to achieve our mission, we need to grow. And in order to grow, we have to attract talented students, not for the purpose of being super selective, but because, again, with our mission, uh, what we're what we are asking students to do is quite rigorous and and academically challenging. Um, and I am uh, the problem that I am most right now focused on overcoming is an awareness problem. Um, it is a story, a, right? You it, almost have to become a storyteller, don't you? Have to. I mean, and it's it's building the brand so that the entire higher ed, global higher ed space is aware of us. But really, it's I, I want to boil it down to something much more practical, which is that I want every talented high school student in the world to know what Minerva University is and to understand our value proposition. I was in a I taught a class at University of Virginia earlier this year to 95 undergraduate students interested in education innovation. And I asked them how many of them had heard of Minerva University and three raised their hand. And that didn't totally surprise me. It it depressed me, but it <laughs> didn't surprise me. But that's um you know, it's an opportunity for us. Um and I, I think a very solvable problem. 
Um, yeah, so how, do, how do you communicate that to students who might just assume that it would be cost prohibitive for them to even apply? I mean, that has to be part of the story. The, it, the truth is, if you just describe Minerva University, based on what people know about higher ed right now, I mean, my my two oldest daughters are Brown and NYU, so I, I feel this painfully as a parent. <laughs> Your uh, life is about ones and zeros and decimal points. <laughs> yes, for sure. <laughs> And one of the best kept secrets about Minerva is it costs well less than half of the most select, the other most selective U.S. universities. Um, and that's for two main reasons. One, we have absolutely no facilities and infrastructure debt. Um, but more importantly, we've just refused to participate in the arms race to turn college campuses in, into country clubs. Um, it's just incredible i say this as someone who in the in the k-12 sp space uh built a lot of buildings it's it's incredibly expensive and you inevitably end up servicing huge amounts of debt as as a result um and then the second thing is we really built ourselves as a as a university designed around teaching um that rewards faculty not necessarily for being famous or the books they published, um, but for being excellent teachers and rewards them equitably um, based on their teaching, not based on how well they known they are in their fields or or other factors. And that's also helped us, I think, to con control costs. Many of our faculty are quite well known and have published lots of books and you know, a gazillion articles in peer-reviewed journals. Um, but they know that if they love teaching, they're going to get rewarded for it here. Do you pinch yourself, Mike, as we as we kind of close this conversation? It seems like going back to, you know, the late 80s, being in the Soviet Union, even for two weeks, I mean, first of all, what an incredible time in history to be there uh, on the precipice of global sh uh, shifts and changes. Um to now be in the seat that you are, to really be a steward of what many might say is the future of a global economy and the way in which we participate for the next generation. That, Not to put a lot of responsibility on your shoulders here, but I would imagine that it is a bit of a balance between that responsibility, but also just almost like childlike excitement that you are of a... There are only a certain number of people that get to do the things that they've been dreaming about. And I get the sense you're very approachable. I've interviewed a lot of college presidents and you'd be at sort of the top of the list if I wanted to hang out and maybe have an adult beverage and chat about the industry. Because there's a very there's an approachable nature about you that I think is probably um, why a lot of the faculty are there and why Minerva is probably set up for success. But tell me about the balance between the responsibility and just being a kid, being being Mike, North Carolina, saying I can't believe I'm doing what I'm doing. Well, I I wake up every day excited to go to work. Um, I, truly, so that's for me has always been a pretty good indication of whether I'm in the right right place. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it's very exciting. It's exactly the kind of mission uh, that I've always wanted to lead. Um, and the challenges are the right kind of challenges. Sometimes they make your head spin or keep you up up a little late at night. Um, but they're the right challenges. It's really worthwhile. Um, so, you know, my dad always said to me, anything great that you ever want to do is going to take you 10 years to do. And um, I would love to be president at Minerva University for the next 10 years. 
Well, it's been a treat to spend some time with you. I'm an immediate fan now of what Minerva is tackling. I think it's incredibly important for young people. It's incredibly important for for equitable experiences for just, I think, our entire planet. Where should people go to learn more about Minerva? Right to the website, minerva.edu. If you're a student who's starting to think about where you want to go to college, you can apply there. Um, If you're a philanthropist who wants to support a really noble cause like this, you can uh, find a way to reach us there. And uh, I'm I'm easily approachable, too. I'm just at mmcgee at minerva.edu. Anyone can reach out to me anytime. Well, I've really enjoyed this. I encourage people to check it out, you know, dip your toe in, learn a little bit more about Minerva um, and think about the world as a playground of opportunity and challenge uh, and and a good challenge. One last thing here uh, to be more 2022. We are on uh, Instagram and TikTok uh, and on (laughs) Twitter. So you can find us on those social media platforms as well. Those Dr. Mike McGee uh, TikTok videos, they're going to (laughs) go viral. Uh, We want to thank Dr. Mike McGee, the president of Minerva University. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. This concludes another chapter of On Balance. Connect with me via LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Dr. Rod Berger.